What's up? It's Alex from Hello Humanities. Today on the pod, we have Cameron Evans, class of 2019. Super excited to talk to her about finishing up at UC Davis, using that major, or maybe not, in her current job, and what the future holds. So stick around. Cameron Evans coming right back on Hello Humanities. All right, welcome back to Hello Humanities. I have a very special guest today, former student, class of 2019, Cameron Evans. Cam, it's so good to have you on Hello Humanities today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to chat. Absolutely, and it's it's been a couple years now, and so I'm curious, I know as several other students I've had on the pod uh, in the past couple weeks, a UC Davis student, a UC Davis grad, I am curious about your path to where you are currently. Totally. Um, I'll just jump in. So went to Davis in, yeah, 2019. Uh, COVID hit my first year. So had a lot of COVID school. I definitely loved UC Davis to its fullest extent. Loved it so much. And then I graduated this last June, 2023, doing many majors, but the one I graduated with was human development. So that was very um, kind of just like education and health focus. Those were kind of my two primary things. But I got involved during school with this crazy opportunity to start and run an engineering summer camp for girls. And so all of that kind of led to me really being interested in tech education and generally equity in education. And mm. so those are the big things that I really care about. But that, you know, I just tried out this internship. They kept me full time. And that's what I'm doing right now. So it sounds like a very different path. And you noticed, rather, you noted that you were different majors. You kind of went in different directions. You said you ended up on human development. Is that right? Yeah. Can you speak to what that major is? And yes. you, you also mentioned the idea of roles in education. Yeah, totally. So human development at Davis is um, very general and you can really make it what you want it to be. The foundations of it is something you're going to hear all over the place if you're ever in a human development context, and that's the biopsychosocial model. So it's bio, biology, psycho, so what's going on psycho psychologically, and then social and all of that informs how we are as people, how we develop as individuals from what we call womb to tomb, but also how we develop um, our communities and kind of grow healthy communities. And so for me, human development, I took a lot of um, just education classes because it's always been something I care a lot about, something I love, and um, public health, kind of how we build healthy communities, infrastructure, things like that. I love the sort of different ways that you and it sounds like your major are framing the questions of communities because it sounds like human development in, in many contexts is about community development and mm -hmm. i think it's interesting that you found sort of this role through this internship of thinking about the way that technology is interacting with human development and, and community development i'm curious do you feel like there have been ways that this particular work you've done in college has helped the work you're doing now? Does it feel kind of separate from it? Or or how are you folding your own academic background into this job? Yeah, so I, I owe everything for what I'm doing now to my extracurriculars. Um, so for me, especially, you know, being a COVID student, like online school was awesome that we had it and it, it sucked. And like, we all know that. Um, and it was just so hard to get what I really 
wanted out of school. But that was at the time where I started my first like pretty important role in school at college, I should say. Um, and that was the manager at the craft center. So the craft center was this huge place. If you're ever a Davis student, if you're touring Davis, check it out. You get free tours. It's amazing. And that was a huge place. I mean, they did everything there. 11 studios, ceramics, flame working, wood shop, screen printing, textiles, art, photography, just everything. And when I got hired, I was definitely not qualified, but they hired me, which was awesome. So that's something to be said for go for things that you might not get. And, uh, you know, I'd show up and they'd say, okay, it's broken, fix it. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, and so definitely spent, learned half of what I know today from YouTube. And I would encourage everybody else to do the same because YouTube is one of the richest sources of knowledge that I know about um, and one of the most accessible also. And so that first kind of got me into the sphere. And what I loved about it was I loved talking to artists about engineering tools and kind of blending those two in ways that were really meaningful because I think that so often those are two really disconnected subjects, right? Um, but they're Absolutely. ultimately the same muscles and the same sort of thinking and can be used in the same way for like kind of very MCEL, you know, like very like transformative projects that impact people and local communities. So that was what I love and what got me into it. And I found that, you know, I was, I come, I always tell people, like, I come from a family where we had one, the one laptop and if it made a noise, no one was allowed to touch it for three, for three hours. <laughs> like that, that's, that's where I'm coming from. And so I always tell people, even now I say, I'm a people person working on tech but I'm, I am so concerned about the people-centered aspects of how tech influences our lives from iPad kids to the other side of it, where like technology can completely change people's lives if they have, you know, different physical abilities that inhibit them from participating in activity. So, you know, there's a huge, that's kind of what got me into it. And then, so like I said, I was at the makerspace, loved it, started working in a high school maker classroom. Uh, really connected with the teacher there, loved working with the students. And he came to me and he said, hey, um, a professor from a neuroengineering lab, which is the thing I learned about at that time, um, reached out to me and they have this grant money from NSF to start a summer camp to get girls into STEM, basically. You want to do it with me? And I said, let's do it. <laughs> and then that was just an incredible experience. Like I... Again, I think a very MCEL outlook. I really love kind of seeing a project from nothing to like a final product. And so right. developing that project management and that sort of just like initiative building was so critical in that role. So I was doing these two things together, the makerspace, and then I was developing my summer camp. Uh, and so it ended up being a neuroengineering summer camp and neuroengineering for everyone who doesn't know, which is me when I, before I got here, uh, that is engineering focused on how we take everything that our brain does and our body does, and then how that affects how we interact with machines. So some examples of projects that come out of the same lab that I worked in, a lot of it is robotics, for example, that rely on brain signals. So something you'd get from an EEG, which measures brain signals that then can say control an arm. Um, and this can be used both in like rehabilitative settings, but also in aerospace settings. So a lot of these engineers were aerospace engineers and they were working on a thing called supernumerary robotics to add limbs. 
like in space settings, right? And so to me, I'm like, whoa, this is like sci-fi. Let's pull it apart, right? Let's do the humanities part of science and say exactly woohoo. <laughs> and let's say what what really matters to people, what matters for wellness and like have those conversations of is this effective, is this meaningful? Um, and some of the other projects in that lab, for example, basically you work with robots to do tasks and based on how they cause the robot to behave, they measure how much people trust the robots they're working with. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. Um, and I think that more and more we're going to see people in this field of it's called HCI, human computer interaction or human machine interaction. And again, like I, I, I am not a person with a tech background. That's not what I studied, but I do think it's so important to have people who care about people making decisions in tech, in robotics, in learning. So that's that's really who I am these days and what my role is. And so that kind of led me to, um, yeah, this internship where I was just kind of looking at, hey, how can we use these tools to help learning? Or is that even the right answer? I don't know. Turns out at this organization, it is definitely a plausible one. And so my current role is really funky. I have not met anyone else with this title before. I don't think it's out there. I'm a learning and development research assistant. And so I work in an L&D team. And just for context, my company is like in biopharma manufacturing. So I'm working in a lot of different settings right now. Sounds like it. But um, yeah, I'm, I kind of get to just be very self-directed in my day-to-day, which is just like, what do I want to learn about? And how can I test its effectiveness here? I love that you have found, even it sounds like there's some pretty disparate things you've been working on and areas that yeah. you've been part of. <laughs> it still though does, and actually I, I'm noting as you're talking about this, is it as a human development and the focus on communities, it's interesting because really what you're saying is, and I think you noted this, how is it that technology fits into the larger community of humans? As someone who obviously is in the classroom and thinking about how AI and technology generally is used or misused yes. or it's just, yes. it, it, it's really fascinating because I, I think your point about who do we want in charge of thinking about these spaces? How do we want technology to be used? How can we use them and it for positive actions and outcomes? And how is it that could possibly be a problem. What do you have sort yeah. of any opinion? I know it's early in the podcast, but let's let's jump into the AI yeah. question. Like how do you feel Oh my gosh. About I'm so this? excited. Yeah, how do you like yes. how are you approaching this and how are you thinking about this? Yeah. So, um my first feeling is that like with any technology, I think that the approach of like do not use has never been successful. Like that does not work. Absolutely. Um first off, I think like to me tech literacy is something I care so, so much about because even the disparity I see within my company of the top performers and like our manufacturing staff, there's such a difference in typing. I'm like, this is like, we need to, there's so many things we have to overcome to make sure that all people have equal access to these tools that are going to pretty wildly change how we approach things. And then my dream, this is my dream. Let me start there. My dream is that AI responsibly used could alleviate a lot of the time that people spend doing things that are not meaningful to them and then give back time to one, do pretty meaningful things and things that people are really good at that machines aren't as good at, which is like, you know, strategy, thoughtful, like decision-making and, you know, prioritizing value conversations. And then, you know, the other piece of the dream is like, we could all use more time to be humans and not be at work. (laughs) 
Um, and so that's another dream. And I don't know if that's feasible or practical, but that's something I would hope is that in many years we could spend a lot of our week or, you know, have finally do that four day work week or something like that. But yeah, when it comes to like, okay, what are we going to do in classrooms? I'm, I'm so interested to hear what's going on because on one side, you know, I've talked to educators who say, well, you know, it's a tool. So cite, cite the tool, cite your source, but it's also there are muscles that you have to practice, I think. And if you are always outsourcing that practice, you're never going to strengthen that muscle. And so um, depending on, I think this is something that I really would want to say today is that everything comes back to your priorities and your values. And so the sooner you're able to figure that out for yourself, the better. And that, I mean, that comes back to college. That comes back to now, like being a 22 year old with a lot more time than I'm used to. And I'm like, what, what am I doing with my life? But yeah, that's, that's kind of a really general, what I think about AI at this current phase. And I want to be involved. I'm hoping that my company lets me be involved in their conversations that they're starting to have around like, okay, really, how are we going to look at workforce planning and people planning and all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. And to, sh to show my cards a little bit, I both have reservations about certain things, but tend to really agree with you in the sense that one, this can be used as a tool and should be, and it's, there's a huge benefit that comes from that. And the problem that is left is not the problem of AI. It's the problem of the foundational ways in which we educate, because to me, that is sort of a larger part of this. We like, if I'm asking students to do something that to your point is not something they have to make a value judgment, they have to give their opinion about, they have to actually feel invested in, then it's not really surprising why they're going to, they're going to use it. If again, we're, we're, we're dealing in a system that a system based upon points and grades and the sort of way of checking off whether or not you did something, not whether or not necessarily that thing is good or it mm -hmm. has met the standards or the expectations that I or any teacher has, has given. And so just being in that space is, it's really challenging. And I mean, obviously on, on our campus, it's definitely been conversations around how do we use it? Do we use it? Do we let students use it at all? Do we use it in the class? I mean, I definitely have had to, and I've had conversations about this before. What do I do? How do I approach? Is, is everything I'm using in my class worth using? Yeah. If someone can do this at home by plugging it into ChatGPT, then maybe the thing that I'm asking them to do is not actually valuable. And that, that takes a lot of self reflection and self-effacing yeah. moments, you know? Yeah. And I'd be so, you know, I'm just curious, like, I don't even totally understand how, I think a lot of education standards we know come out of a goal to make people efficient workers, which matters. Like it matters that you can be successful in your future endeavors. And we need people that are going to be good people, good citizens, and, you know, like, like good for themselves, Yeah, you, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've had the same thought a lot about like, what are, I mean, if, if we see a complete overhaul, which I think it will be more gradual than maybe some sources panic and say, but um, I can totally imagine that being, yeah, a big conversation to think about is like, how is this going to completely change this topic? If people I, have the knowledge, they have to make the decision. Like it's so much, it's a different mindset. And I don't think that's bad. It's not bad to have these conversations about what yeah. does the new technology that's coming up around us, 
how does it change the way that we think about education? And, and you noted there are different objectives to what school is for anyway, because if you're just mm -hmm. training students in academic work of completing a thing or the physical capabilities of hitting this particular standard, then that's a different question than can you actually be a good person out in the world? And I think that you're noting that in a really important way because honestly, like as a public school teacher, I think that my students come in with different backgrounds, different mindsets, different familial environments, different family histories. And those things really mm -hmm. do matter. And they really do yeah. sort of bubble up underneath all of the things that we're talking about. And so when I approach a class or a, a, a lesson, I'm not approaching it in the same way for every student because that's impossible. It's impossible for every student yep. to be approaching the material or the lesson in, in the same way. I totally see that. And I, I, as I was saying it, I was thinking about probably the best class I took in college was um, diversity in the classroom class. Mm. Oh my gosh. Say and more. it just like, Okay, so, <laughs> and I love that you say say more because that's my word these days when I'm teaching classes. I'm always like, say more. <laughs> Just the idea that we are a community of learners, right? And the idea that um, in rather than all of the models we've had previously where it's a one-way line of communication, that everything is a tool to permit and facilitate conversation for us to learn from each other because right. at the end of the day, even the knowledge that we're pulling from that's like the one truth is one person's truth. And so, I don't know. And I had so much gratitude being in that class, thinking about your classroom. And we would talk, we would all just share anecdotes all day. Like, this was my experience. This was my experience. And I would say, you know, I was in this classroom and I didn't realize at the time, but we all faced each other because that was the heart of it. That was the heart of what we were doing and what we were learning. And we were all chatting and it was about the conversation. And you would just run back and forth, but like, <laughs> let us talk. And I just, I don't know. I appreciate that so much. And I don't know, the more education classes that I took, the more, number one, I'm like, whoa, I had such incredible educators and I'm so lucky. And two, like, oh my gosh, I want to be part of that, you know? In college, I remember I had this friend who was graduating and I said, okay, what, what advice would you give me? And I don't know if this advice, you won't go into all your students, but what, we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> number one... Don't, don't take everything too seriously. Now, this girl, given, she was, like, top of her class pre-med. So, you know, like, factor that in. But number one, don't take things so seriously. Some things feel like the end of the world, but once you have more life perspective, they're really not. Like a failed test or, you know, just a failed class even. Two, don't, like, you're going to get out of it what you put into it, right? And that is, I mean, I know everybody says that, but it is so true in the same sense that, you know, you hear all of these college students saying, like, oh, I learned how to prioritize when I got to school. And I learned that I think that's code for I learned what I don't have to do anymore. You know, I learned what I don't have to do and I can still get away with what my goals are, right? And so I think once you can kind of acknowledge that, I, I mean, at least me in college, I felt torn in a million different ways. But it, now looking back, I realized like, okay, yeah, I didn't prioritize that. And now these other things that I prioritized were so richening for me and I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful. And like in some little places, I'm like, oh, I should have acknowledged that that was something I wanted more and gone after it. So just, you know, like having that conversation with yourself about like, you're going to get out what you put into it. And that can mean sometimes that like you have classes that take a back burner and I think that's okay. 
you know, depending. Yeah, absolutely. So that's some good advice that I would give about college. But now in life, I'm seeing the same thing as, you know, I'm doing this thing and I'm objectively, I think, succeeding at it. And it's it's good objectively. And I do not feel fulfilled. Mm. And that's so important. That's what matters to me. That's what matters to me is like being in these these situations that I've always kind of dreamt about and having a positive impact on young people. And just, yes, I do see that at some point. I think this goes without saying, but I think you would be an incredible teacher. And <laughs> I think that your your experience and I think the experiences that you're describing from your former classmates and um, and college friends, I think is one that a lot of people really do experience, especially young people going out post college. I mean, everything in high school seems so funneled toward this sort of moment at the gates where you mm -hmm. have to choose and the places you get into and the best place versus the place that is the most affordable versus the all these things. Right. And then we kind of don't have a conversation about what happens once you get there. Like what actually mm -hmm. are we preparing you to do? Because yeah. I don't think we as a school community and you know, I'll say bigger picture as a, an education system really talk about the work and the the thing that students should be getting out of going to college if they choose to do so. And yeah. I think that's I think that's obviously a problem because as you're saying, there's there's these things that you learn in the process, but that can be really helpful. I mean, part of why I wanted to have these conversations with college students or post-college students for my classes now is that I want like this type of feedback to be able to talk to these mm -hmm. current 16 and 17 year olds and be like, yo, this is the way that you feel now, but it's not going to be the way that you feel when you're actually there or that you think yeah. that this is the priority right now but actually when you get there there are ways that things are going to shift and as you said like you learn how to prioritize you learn what's not important i think mm -hmm. i think so much of high school is is not just learning what you're into but learning what you're not into i think that's so yeah. so important or like i don't like this type of friendship i think that this type yeah. of learning style is not for me I'm not really into yeah. the humanities. I don't know how that's possible. Anyone could not be <laughs> the humanities, but you know, it is in fact true. And, yeah. and I think that those things are all really valuable. And, and I think it helps me too do a little self-reflection because sometimes if students just are not super into what I'm teaching, it's okay. It's not personal. Yeah. It's just, I mean, hopefully it's not personal. High school is about figuring out what it is that you don't like, what yeah. it is that you do like, the ways in which you learn the type of community you want to be in and be part mm -hmm. of. Yeah. It's so much of that. And another thing I was thinking just upon reflecting for this podcast was like, you know, I, I objectively was fine in high school. And also I was thinking like, Oh man, it really, it truly does get better. Like for all of this. <laughs> it truly does. High school so painful <laughs> in so many ways. Oh my God. I, I, even like college was so stressful, but just in different ways. Like, I don't think a, a lot of things compare to just the challenges of being a high schooler and at that age and in that, in that place. And so. Objectively, you were a successful high school student and yeah. you, you knew how to do the thing. You knew how right. to, you had friendships. I knew the game. I could yeah. do, I could do the things. Yeah. Yeah. But that. But once you can break out of like, I, again, like I, I, again, objectively successful student in college, but did I, did I truly study or was I just a good test taker? Mm. 
and you know what? I'm I'm kind of okay with that now because I realized like, oh my God, I had, because I prioritized these jobs that I loved and these friends that I made and I loved and hobbies, hobbies matter. Oh my God, so much, so much. Like that is in so many cases livelihood, not only because it's a thing, but because it's people. Can like, you talk about some of the things that you, that you did? Okay, yes. So my freshman year, first day of college, I'm walking around at like the involvement fair or whatever. And someone comes up to me and they give me a stand-up comedy club flyer because they're having a show. And I say, oh my gosh, you have a stand-up comedy club? And the guy was like, oh, we're not advertising that. We just have a show. But yeah, I guess you could come. And I went. And the first night there, I met some cool women who were like, you know what? Like a lot of people who come here are not that funny, but they just keep showing up and you can do it too. And that was it. And I was in. And so I did stand up very, very consistently for my first year of college. And I loved it. I loved it. It was awesome. Yes. (laughs) And I met some of my best friends to this day doing it. And even after I stopped doing it, I still have those friends. Right. And then eventually we all started doing sketch comedy together in our senior year. Um, So that was one that was just like, I not in a million years did I think that was a thing I was going to be doing. But when you... You you know about rejection therapy. So basically the idea that it it started because some guy had terrible, terrible social anxiety. And he was like, I can't live like this. I can't even leave the house. I'm so worried about getting rejected. So I'm just going to go out and try to get rejected once a day. And he started doing it. And he realized that trying to get rejected, people accept you way more than you might expect they will. And that there's kind of this, you know, I'll, I'll almost say meme right now where people are doing rejection therapy and then getting their dreams and they're like whoops like I was just doing it for the rejection therapy um and it felt like that I was like you know what? I'm just gonna do this thing it's gonna be hard it's gonna be whatever but I'll grow and sure enough it was it was awesome I also did a lot of ceramics at the craft center the craft center was like a job and a hobby and and then yeah just like having friends hanging out with them going to the park I mean that's like what you do in Davis to socialize is everybody goes to the park and hangs out so yeah those those are really important things too it's just like know who you are outside of school because if you're a person like me who you're really good at school and you think that's enough it's not it's just not yeah and and those things can't help create the community that you hopefully want Mm -hmm. to have after school because Yes. Again, being a student is a part of your life, but I don't think it should be all of your life. Yeah, those are some of the big things that I found and continue to find, especially now, especially when work is eight to five and it's over and that's awesome. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do now? (laughs) Like many, I think in my age group, I go to the climbing gym and that is a super social place. That is a very good third place if you don't know where to start Mm. because people, at least in my climbing gym, I walked in and it was amazing. They were all like, you're new here. (laughs) Are there that few people? No, but they, everybody knows each other. And so they were like, you're new here. You want to be our friend? And I was like, sure. And now I have friends and it's amazing. Um, So that's one. And then ceramics still is a good one for me. Yeah. So are you still making stuff and, and you have a space where you're doing that? I have a studio that I've been talking to and like getting involved with where I'm going to help out with studio stuff. So yeah. Nice. Nice. You know, ceramics teacher is definitely something, you know, taking the love of that with the love of the classroom. Yeah. That's, and I, I just, 
Oh, man. I would love to teach. My dream in life is to be Miss Frizzle. Classic. Magic school bus <laughs> forever. You know, so last year I applied. To, I went to um, a career fair and Teach for America was there. Mm -hmm. And they got me. And I started tearing up at the booth as they were talking to me just because I felt so connected to what they were saying. At the time, I just I said no for now. But um, yeah, I've been I've been very close on a number of occasions to switching to that path. And I, I don't think it's out of the question for me at all. Yeah. The other teachers that I talked to, they're like, what are you waiting for? We need you. Like, we need you now. Now is the time. The way that you make something better is by joining it and changing it. I, and granted, so this is another, just to connect to what you're talking about. I didn't become a teacher till I was 30, right? So later I, yeah. I did not go right into it. And so I think that part of that has helped me really have some perspective and live kind of a full life after college yeah. years before I, I got into it. And yeah, I, I definitely think that's helped me have some perspective on, on coming into the profession and loving it and really connecting to that work and the students. So I definitely am biased yeah. as well, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big thumbs up and um, I think it'd be awesome. So, I mean, what would you tell someone in my shoes, right? Who like, number one, I was always like, I got to get just a little bit older looking because I'm going to get walked on if I go try to go into a middle school, high school classroom. What, what would you tell someone about how to, how do you know if that's, you're there and it's time? And then also like, how do you recommend doing it? I mean, is TFA the way? And I know there's a lot of feelings about that. There is are, it yeah. better to, you know, teaching credential versus masters versus, you know, there's so many things. Sure. Um, I can obviously only tell you what I did and tell you how that ended up working out for me. Yeah. I had a lot of friends in college who also did teach for America. And I think mm -hmm. with generally... I would say pretty disparate experiences, some great, some mm -hmm. not so great. And I, I have no particular personal connection to, or, or really opinion about Teach for America. I think, yeah. again, again, the intention I think is great. And yeah. obviously the complications come from all the other things that we're kind of talking about in terms of education. Yeah. But for me, one of the things and ways that I got into it was, was our mutual friend, David Tao, basically, told me that he thought I would be a good teacher and explained to me over lunch how it is that he became a teacher. So kind of, mm -hmm. I'm passing this on to you, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, you know, I, I had to work full time. So I ended up going to, and this goes back to your, you, you get out of it, what you put into it. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to, I did kind of a half online, half in-person um, kind of masters of education, teaching credential kind of 18 month mm -hmm. program through the university of Phoenix. So I got my, okay. I got my BA through the university of Michigan. And then I, it was basically an opportunity to be able to try doing something within the context of working full time and, and having to right. go in, but also do lots of online stuff and Tao did something kind of similar, um, though with different, different schools. And he also did some mm -hmm. other master's programs, et cetera. But, yeah. but basically that was the way I kind of did it was, was I had the foundation of a BA and then kind of jumped into that program and was able to come out of it. I did my student teaching at TL and ultimately was able, I worked at middle school for a couple of years. And then when the job kind of opened back up and you were a freshman, mm -hmm. that was my first year, freshman in high school. Are you serious? Yeah. So my first year was- I the, did not put the, that all together. Yeah. You were a freshman when I- 
got my first uh, my first year teaching. Whoa, it. that's wild. No, it's not that long ago. That's also crazy because, okay, what do you think about when they say like you need five years to feel comfortable? You know, you know how teachers will say that like it takes five years to really feel like you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I think it depends. My first two years were incredibly difficult, but they were also at a middle school and they were also in a yeah. different space and in a place that I had not actually trained to be a teacher in. And so mm -hmm. when I came back to TL after two years, it was such a change that I felt better already just from, mm -hmm. I mean, just teaching middle versus teaching high school, very different uh, yes, communities and, and ages and, and problems and, and, and things that you're teaching, like in middle mm -hmm. school, you're teaching how to be a person. That, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and, and sometimes <laughs> doing better than other times. The work itself is so, so valuable, not just for yourself, but for the world. I mean, being a teacher is such a beautiful experience. And I really do feel incredibly lucky to be an educator. And I know that's kind of hokey, but I don't know. I, you're talking to someone who gets it. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and, yeah. and, and also, I mean, again, like you get an opportunity to work with people like yourself. Like I had such a wonderful experience teaching your class, you specifically, Cam. Like it's such a joy to work with students who, who are both recognizing their own strengths, but also recognizing and trying to challenge themselves in the spaces mm -hmm. where they are. And I, I actually remember I had you for 10th grade and 11th grade. And mm -hmm. so, that's so right. we were, three, we were like three to, or four classes over that time. Yeah. And we were able to, you know, going from even that, that year from 10th grade to 11th grade, the beginning of 10th grade, where you're basically still a, a baby to the end yeah. of 11th grade, where you're basically yeah. like graduating out of there. So <laughs> yeah. it's a huge, it's a huge change, but it's yeah. such a, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to watch that process but also to your earlier point about the classroom that i try to run it's awesome to just be able to watch and try to facilitate students kind of recognizing their own values and finding the ways that they think about the world and and the subject matter when i try to tell people what i do i can objectively i'm like what i do is cool that's a cool job but when i tell people about it i do not feel proud to mm. talk about it and then I think about getting to say, like, you know, things that I dream about, like, I'm a, I'm a teacher, that's what I do, you know, just the difference in feeling is so notable to me. I so, think that it's important to note that and, yeah, and that love and connection to it is important. And obviously, being able to do what you're doing now may help you get to that place where you're like, yeah. you know, I was doing this thing that was super valuable. But now I want to use those skills and experiences to yeah. to do something else. Yeah. And I feel so lucky that I can now speak to so many parts of my role. And I'm like, oh, I've been in the corporate world. I did it. It's crazy. Absolutely. Bring that back. Well, Cameron. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have you. So good to see you. And yeah, please, please, please come back anytime. You're always welcome back on the pod. I just, I wanted to say, I, I think that a lot of teachers, like, I, I don't know how it is. I don't know if you hear from students all the time, but I know that the amount that I think about you guys versus the amount that I reach out is not equal at all. Like, they're wildly different. And so I just hope you guys know what an impact you have on, like, every single person's life that you touch, like, all of the time. I mean, yeah. 
Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely mine. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And everybody I talked to about coming on, they're all like, ah, oh, busy. So I tried. I tried. I but... appreciate it. We'll get them on. I, yeah. that, that, that class is a special one. Thanks so much to Cameron Evans for joining me today on the pod. Super excited to have conversations continuously with former students. Also great to talk to someone who has finished college and is thinking about the world and adulthood afterwards. Keep listening to more episodes with former students on Hello Humanities. Peace. Peace.